And I want to just say, to have, to have the president be able to nominate a third Supreme Court justice, it's unbelievable, really. I mean, uh, we, we got involved at Calvary Chapel Tehachapi back in 2008 uh, with Prop 8. We started to get involved politically when they were trying to legalize gay marriage, as you, you all may remember. And then we had death threats and hate mail and all the rest that would come in and, uh, you know, graffiti and churches were being desecrated over this issue about the church trying to preserve marriage between one man and one woman. Uh, as, uh, as, as we know, the uh, liberals were trying to legalize gay marriage and really water down what marriage is, water down the family. And of course, they were successful. Uh, in 2015, I was in Washington, D.C., actually. I was speaking in New Jersey in two, June of 2015 when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. And then President Obama at the time flooded the White House in rainbow colors, as you remember. I, I remember it well. I uh, actually was there that Friday speaking, and then that Monday I was in Washington, D.C. And, um, and so that was because they had a majority of the Supreme Court justices um, who were godless, really, and were voting according to their godless positions, and they had a 5-4 majority. Well, that majority has now shifted. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually right now equal, I would say, 4-4. John Roberts is not necessarily uh, the conservative vote that you could count on if you follow the Supreme Court cases, but if Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed, we will have a solid 5-4 to four uh, really Christian-slash-Catholic-slash-Judeo-Christian majority on the highest court of the land. And that's not a little thing. That's not a small thing. That determines the laws of the land probably for the next 30 to 40 years. And it may be God's mercy on our nation to give us some more time uh, before he uh, judges our nation. And if uh, they are able to overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, that'll be, that will be incredible because uh, that is the, the shedding of innocent blood that's been going on since 1973 in this country to the tune of 62 or 63 million babies that have been aborted in the womb. Uh, and so, you know, God must judge a country that murders its babies in the womb. I mean, otherwise God would not be the God of the Bible, holy and righteous and so forth. So uh, be praying for, for, for Amy Barrett and praying for those senators who are going to vote for her and, uh, and continue to pray for our president, President Trump, who has nominated once again another fantastic, conservative, uh, qualified, uh, constitutionalist Supreme Court justice. Okay, so we're going to start out in Daniel chapter 9 and kind of pick up where we left off last week. This has been a series. It's actually probably going to be uh, a total of seven messages. So this will be part four in the series that we started a few weeks ago entitled The Promises and the Covenants of God. And we've been specifically looking at the covenants and promises that God made to Israel, to physical, literal, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their physical, literal descendants, the Jews, and how God still has tremendous prophecies and promises yet to be fulfilled for his people, Israel. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages. Uh, I go through this information fairly quickly because I want to get it out there to you. I know it's hard sometimes to follow, um, but I, these are all recorded messages. And so if I were you and you were interested in this subject, I would listen to the message again. That's what I do. I listen to sermons over and over again until I understand them, especially things that are somewhat more complicated for me. Uh, I probably had to hear the teaching of the 70 weeks of Daniel probably five or six times before I finally understood it to where I could then explain it to someone else. And so don't feel bad if this kind of seems like it's going over your head with the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecies, but you could go back and listen again and uh, I assure you, uh, I'm giving you the scriptural references that you could go back and study for yourselves and you can really come to understand this incredible uh, prophecy uh, here in Daniel chapter 9. So I've entitled this message here, which is part four of our series. I've entitled this message, The Abomination 
of Desolations, the Abomination of Desolations. Pastor Bob uh, read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, which speaks about that, and we will actually be looking at Second Thessalonians 2 toward the end of the message. So Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Seventy weeks, or seventy-sevens, literally sevens, seventy-sevens, are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy." Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 weeks or 62 sevens. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's Jerusalem, the city, the sanctuary would be the temple. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm, this is the prince who is to come, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, or middle of the seven, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, these prophecies were a mystery to Daniel and his contemporaries, the prophets who were around at this time. They didn't really see these prophecies fulfilled in their lifetimes. Uh, They wouldn't see a lot of these prophecies fulfilled. Some of these prophecies would be fulfilled at the first coming of Christ uh, when he came in and rode, as we looked at last week, on the donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. Your king will come to you humble riding on a, on a donkey, on the a fowl or the colt of a donkey. Uh, and Jesus came in on that day, presented himself to the nation of Israel, and he was rejected on that Palm Sunday. We looked at that last week in Luke chapter 19. Uh, so uh, Daniel didn't see those prophecies. Those were hundreds and hundreds of years after Daniel was gone. So he didn't see the, that prophecy fulfilled. And then the rest of the prophecies, the abomination of desolation, the prince who is to come, uh, the covenant with the many for one week, and so forth, that is still yet future for us. This is, this is the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist comes into the temple in Jerusalem, the rebuilt temple, Uh, declares that he is God, demands to be worshipped as God. And so Daniel didn't understand much of what he wrote, actually, from Daniel 7 on. There's so many wonderful prophecies in Daniel. I've taught through the book of Daniel. I'm sure Pastor Bob has. It's probably been a while since you went through Daniel. But it's, it's an incredible, incredible series of prophecies in the book of Daniel. But really, Daniel didn't see hardly any of the prophecies fulfilled in his day. They were for a future people, a future generation. And so uh, we read at the end of, of, of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 12, the, the last chapter of, of the prophecy of Daniel, or the book of Daniel, we read this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, speaking of the, uh, Michael the archangel, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So you have a resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. Many of those who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, the resurrection unto eternal life and the resurrection unto eternal death. Verse 3, Then those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, 
shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And good morning to everyone in Tehachapi. Sorry, I forgot to say hello to everybody watching live in Tehachapi up there, our friends at a city on a hill church. So this is, this is the key in verse 4. Daniel's told this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal up the book or the scroll until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so all of these prophecies were not for Daniel's day. Daniel was writing them down faithfully. He didn't understand them. Uh, he was documenting them because that's what God told him to do. But he had no idea what this was, how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. He was just writing it down for us. And God says, this is not for you, Daniel. He says, shut up the words, seal up the book until the time of the end. So what Daniel is writing is for the end times, for the people that will be alive at the end times. Not for Daniel, not for his day. Interesting that a, a prophecy about the end is that many will run to and fro or travel to and fro all over the earth and knowledge shall increase. Has travel all over the earth uh, become a reality in, in today's world? Of course it has, like no time in history. People can travel anywhere in the world almost instantaneously within just a few short hours. You could be on the other side of the world. Uh, and has knowledge increased in our day? Exponentially, the internet. Uh, the Internet of Things. And, and so um, these, again, would be last day's prophecies. The time of the end will be defined by people traveling to and fro and knowledge exploding upon the earth. Not for Daniel's day, but I would suggest perhaps for our day. In verse 8 of Daniel 12, Daniel says this. He says, although I heard, I did not understand. See, he didn't understand what God was showing him. And, and then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Daniel wanted to know, what does this mean? What, what's coming? What's going to happen? And then he said, verse 9, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. So it was not for Daniel's day. It was for the end times that these prophecies would be understood and would be fulfilled. And so this is very important for us to understand. He says they're sealed until the time of the end. He's, and then he continues, verse 10 of chapter 12 of Daniel, many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation... We just read about that in Daniel 9, 27, 26 and 27. And the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you, Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. And so God is not speaking in riddles, but he's just telling Daniel things that were going to be for a future generation, not for Daniel's day. But Daniel was a faithful prophet of God, a man of God. He documented and wrote everything that God told him to write down, although he had no clue how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, or what it was going to look like. Uh, it was going to be sealed until the time of the end. Now, when you look at the book of Revelation... And, and it is the book of Revelation singular. Revelation. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And the word revelation is apocalypsos, which means unveiling or unsealing. So Daniel was told to veil or seal the prophecies until the time of the end. John the Apostle, we're told, is writing a book about the unsealing or the unveiling of the future of what is to come. And we read in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, here's where we get the title for the book of the Revelation in Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. 
And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So Daniel was, was told, Daniel, seal it up, close it up. It's not for you. It's for the time of the end. You're just going to go, you know, your way and you're going to go to rest in peace and, and, and then you'll be resurrected in the last days and, and, and then you'll be a part of it. But for Daniel, his prophecies were the future, for, for the future generation, not for him. With John, this revelation is for the people who are hearing the words of this book, the words of this prophecy, those who are keeping the words and the things which are written in it. Uh, those are reading, hearing, and keeping the words of this prophecy. Uh, that means that the time is near. So for the generation that the book of Revelation begins to make sense, he's saying, this is for you. The book of Revelation is for those who are living in the times when the time is near. Then there will, they will be reading, they will be hearing, and they will be keeping the things that are written uh, in the book. And just so we are clear, at the end of the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, we read this about the unveiling or the unsealing of the prophecies in the last days. Revelation chapter 22 verse 6 says this, then he said to me, the words, or these words rather, are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, verse 7, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then you skip to verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. So there's going to be a generation where the prophecies are unsealed. Now God didn't want to reveal all of these prophecies to the church 2,000 years ago because it didn't apply to them. They didn't understand the book of Revelation. They didn't understand the prophecies of Daniel. They didn't understand the Olivet Discourse and how Christ was... Uh, teaching uh, there about his second coming and about the Antichrist coming and so forth. They didn't understand these things because they weren't pertinent or relevant to that age or that epoch of church history. Now we are 2,000 years into church history and all of a sudden everything the Bible predicted, everything the Bible predicted would happen in the last days is happening in our lifetime. We are the generation that the book of Revelation makes sense to. We're the first generation that really begins to see and understand all of these prophecies are beginning to be fulfilled. Now, whether it's another 50 years, 20 years, 150 years, we don't know how much time we have. No one's trying to set a date for the return of Christ, but we are getting closer and closer. And it's kind of like as you're driving down the road and you see a big city far, far away and you're driving through the darkness of the night of the desert and you begin to see just a few little lights and you think well there's the big city but it's still very far away I could just see a little bit of light but the closer that you get the more it comes into focus the brighter the light gets until you finally arrive at your destination and you're in the light you're in the city so as we get closer and closer moving through history to the time of the end we're literally now beginning to become enlightened to see this is speaking to us like no generation of church history before us. The unveiling. Daniel was told to seal it up, bail it up, close it up. It's not for you, Daniel. It's going to be for the people of the time of the end. And yet Revelation tells us, unseal it, unveil it, put it out there because the time is near. Now, there was a promised kingdom and there was a promised king in the book of Daniel. And uh, Daniel, again, documented these things. He recorded these things for us. For example, there was a promised kingdom with a promised Jewish king uh, that, that he knew about that was coming, although it didn't happen in his lifetime. And we read this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, as God was showing Daniel these things, not for him, but really for us, the last day's generation. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 say this, 
I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So this was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And this was, we know, speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man uh, when he was here, and the Son of God, God's only begotten Son. He, and, and it says that he came before. Daniel's watching this scene from outside of time. He's looking into the future. He sees this scene of Jesus, the Son of Man, coming before the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, seated on his throne. And God the Father gave to the Son of Man a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. This is a literal physical kingdom with a literal physical king ruling literally physically from Jerusalem in Israel. This is what God is saying is coming. And we know that much of this is still future. Jesus has not yet come to take dominion and to rule over this earth. He will do that when he comes back the second time. And he has an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting dominion, which will not ever be destroyed. Now, we continue to read in verse 21 of Daniel 7. He says, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints, and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, or the Holy Ones of the Most High, until the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Then he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Verse 27, Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 to 27, God is, is giving Daniel a little more uh, detail about what is coming on the earth in the last days. There was uh, this statue in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and God was showing Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the future Gentile powers that were going to rule over the Middle East and ultimately rule over the world. You had Babylon, you had the Medo-Persian Empire, you had the Greek Empire, and then the fourth kingdom was the Roman Empire. And God showed Daniel these empires that were coming in Daniel chapter 2 and in Daniel chapter 7. And it's interesting that the fourth kingdom, which would have been the Roman kingdom, this was the fourth kingdom counting from the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, all those who ruled over Israel in Jerusalem from the time of Daniel onward, uh, that this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom is going to devour the whole earth. And now we're talking about the Antichrist, the ten horns or ten kings. And there's another king that comes up. And he's going to take power from the three kings. So there will be instead of ten ruling the earth, there will be seven plus this one. And then he's going to take over all the other kingdoms and he's going to rule over the earth. This is the 
Antichrist, the little horn, the one that has a big mouth, Daniel says, that speaks blasphemous things. He's going to want to change the times. He's going to want to change the laws. He's going to persecute the tribulation saints for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years according to the scriptures. A time is one year. Times would be two years. A half a time is half a year. That's three and a half years. That's the great tribulation period which begins with the abomination of desolations. So it's just amazing. All of these prophecies are there. Uh, Daniel didn't understand them, but he was a faithful prophet. He wrote these prophecies down for us and for those who would come after him. So we go back to Daniel 9 in verse 24, and I'm going to recap some of what we went over last week, just so that it will kind of sink in and, and let you think about it again here, this incredible prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 4, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. 70 weeks are determined, Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks are determined for your people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews, not the church, the Jews. For your people, Daniel, the Jews, and for your holy city. That's not Rome, that's not Constantinople, that's not London, it's not Washington, D.C. Daniel's people are the Jews. His holy city is Jerusalem, a literal physical place. So 70 weeks or 77s are determined for your people, the Jews, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up or to finish vision and prophecy, or fulfill vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy or the most holy place. So all of these beautiful prophecies are to Daniel, to Jerusalem, and to the children of Israel. Israel. And God is saying all these great things are going to happen. There's going to be an end of transgression. There's going to be an end of sins. National salvation for the Jews. There's going to be reconciliation for iniquity. It's the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of, that Ezekiel spoke of, that God has a new covenant for his children, for the children of Israel. Uh, bring in everlasting righteousness. Fulfill all of the prophecies in the Bible. Seal up vision and prophecy. It's all going to be fulfilled. And to anoint the ho most holy place with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who comes into the Holy of Holies, God in the flesh, is there to anoint the most holy place himself, uh, God coming back uh, uh, to save his people. So these are future prophecies. They have not yet still been fulfilled. It's been 2,500 years plus since Daniel recorded these prophecies. And uh, this has not happened yet for Israel, for Jerusalem, or for the Jews. It's still yet future, the national salvation for Israel. Now he gets into the, what the 77s or the 70 weeks are here. He gives a, a, a time stamp on when this uh, 490 year period is going to start. And as you remember, the, the word weeks are not weeks of days. They're just sevens. Literally, shabuim, the word for weeks, weeks uh, means just sevens. So, uh, you know, you have Shabua, which is uh, singular for uh, seven. You have Shabuim, which is plural for seven. And it just means, literally, it means sevened, like times seven, sevened, or sevens. So when you see 70 sevens or 70 times seven are determined. So we have 490. And, and are we talking about 490 days, 490 months, or 490 years? Well, we know it wasn't 490 days because nothing happened uh, in 490 days from the time that the decree was given to go and rebuild, uh, restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Nothing happened uh, for, for 49 uh, or 490 uh, months after the decree was given to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So then we look 490 years after the command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. As we looked at last week, it was talking about the first coming of Christ. So we read in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, until literally your Messiah is going to be here in Jerusalem. Restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There shall be seven weeks or seven sevens 
and 62 weeks, or 62 sevens, total, totaling 69 sevens, or 483 years. The total would be 70 times 7, 490 years. This is one shy of that. So 69 sevens is 483 years. And so he says, uh, from the time that the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince is there, there's going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or 69 sevens. The street shall be built again, the wall, even in troublesome times. So these 70 units of seven minus one, 69 units of seven, we know that nothing happened. Uh, we know that the command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem by King Artaxerxes in the month of Nisan, which would be the equivalent roughly of our month of March on our calendar, in 445 B.C. Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 2. We know it was in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. The scholars tell us that was 445 B.C. in the month of Nisan, that the decree was given to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So you start your stopwatch there uh, prophetically in 445 B.C. You count forward 69 sevens or 483 years. Or you could literally multiply 483 years by the calendar that they used, that the Jews still use in their calendars, which is a lunar calendar. The Babylonian calendar was a lunar calendar. It was not a solar calendar. So the calendar was 360 days. Our calendar today is the Julian calendar uh, or the Gregorian calendar, which is 365 and a quarter days. It tracks the Earth's uh, uh, movement around the sun rather than the lunar calendar is the moon going through its cycle uh, around the earth. And so you have 12 uh, months in a year because you have 12 full moons and so forth. And so the lunar calendar is 360 days. If you multiply 360 days times the 483 years, the 69 sevens, it takes you right out to the time that Jesus presented himself in Luke chapter 19, on Palm Sunday, as their king and their Messiah, riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. A lowly riding uh, on a donkey. And so Jesus came in perfect fulfillment on exactly the perfect day that was predicted and prophesied for the Messiah to be there presenting himself to the Jews in Jerusalem. It's an incredible, incredible prophecy. And, uh, and, and God. 1880 days after the decree is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the month of Nisan, 445 BC, Messiah, the prince, is going to be there in Jerusalem. He's going to be presented to you. Uh, he says also, the street is going to be rebuilt. Uh, the wall is going to be rebuilt even in troublesome times. So uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and it was going to be rebuilt so that the Messiah would come in to a, a new temple, a rebuilt temple. He would present himself there uh, in Jerusalem, which of course is exactly what happened. King Herod is the one who actually rebuilt Jerusalem and who rebuilt uh, uh, the temple there in Jerusalem prior to Jesus uh, coming in and presenting himself there as their Messiah on Palm Sunday. Now, incredibly, the prophecy continues that the Messiah is going to be killed. In verse 26 of Daniel 9, we read this. And after the 62 weeks, or the 62 sevens, Messiah shall be cut off. So he broke the 40, uh, the... Um, um, 69 sevens, he broke it up into 7 and 62. Most scholars believe that the 7 uh, weeks or the 49 years was actually bringing us to from 445 B.C. to the time when Malachi completed the Old Testament, around 396 B.C., or roughly 49 years after 445 B.C. Again, you can listen to all this again and slow me down if you need to on uh, your YouTube channel. So, um, 
So you have, this, you have the 49 years from 445 B.C. Something happened. We believe that it was the, the completion of the Old Testament. Malachi finished writing right around 400 B.C., 396 uh, B.C. So you have seven sevens completed. Now you have another 62 sevens uh, that are still to be completed. And so uh, that takes you to the uh, 60. Uh, nine sevens or the 483 years when the Messiah is going to come which is exactly what happened again verse 26 after the 62 weeks the seven weeks first and the 62 weeks so 69 sevens Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary the end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. So the Messiah is going to show up. He did exactly on time, 173,880 days after the decree was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. He presented himself, and the nation of Israel rejected him. The leaders of the nation of Israel rejected him. They said, we will not have this man to rule over us. And uh, they said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, the murderer. What shall I do with Jesus, Pilate asked. He said, crucify him, crucify him. So national Israel, not the Jews as a race of people, because the whole church was made up of Jews, the early church. Jesus was a Jew. All of his 12 apostles were Jews. Paul the apostle who wrote half the New Testament was a Jew. John the apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the gospel of John was a Jew. So it wasn't that the Jews rejected Jesus entirely. It was that the religious leaders of Israel rejected Jesus. The priests, the Levites, those who ruled Israel, the political and the religious leaders of Israel rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, even as was predicted and prophesied. Messiah will be cut off or struck down or assassinated or killed, literally, but not for himself. Now, he was the rejected Messiah by the nation of Israel, which according to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, opened the door for the Gentile world to be saved. Because national Israel rejected Jesus Christ the first time he came, it opened the door for the non-Jews to receive the gospel message and to be saved. And then in the end, when God is done and the last Gentile is saved, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God is going to rapture his church, take his bride to heaven, and then he is going to fulfill what? The 70th week of Daniel. He has one more seven-year period to fulfill for who? For the Jews. For where? For Jerusalem. To do what? To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. There's still one seven-year period of time that has not yet been fulfilled. Jesus came after the 69 sevens. He was cut off. He was killed. He was rejected. And not only was this prophesied to happen here in Daniel chapter 9, but also Isaiah the prophet saw this and wrote this in Isaiah chapter 53. Let me read to you what Isaiah the prophet said 750 years before Christ he says this, Isaiah 53, verse 3, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected by men. He wasn't going to be accepted the first time he came. He was going to be hated and he was going to be rejected. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. It's interesting. It's almost like the, the Jews are saying this after recognizing who he was. And some Bible scholars believe that Isaiah 53 is going to be the prayer of national repentance according to the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13 where the whole nation of Israel gets saved. This is their national prayer of repentance. They're going to look upon him whom they pierced. They're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son according to Zechariah chapter 12. And then there's going to be a fountain open in Zechariah 13 for the salvation and the purification of the nation 
of Israel. So this is likely, Isaiah 53, the national prayer of recognition and repentance where Israel is going to accept Jesus Christ in the future as their Messiah. This is what they're saying. This is what the Jews are saying at that time. It's in the future. He is despised. He's rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We, the Jews, Israel, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we, Israel, did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, national Israel, esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Remember the Jews thought it was God that was judging Jesus on the cross. He said, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And they said, he's calling for Elijah. If you are the son of God, bring yourself down from the cross, they said. And of course, he stayed on the cross because he didn't want to save himself. He wanted to save us from our sins. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. It was a substitutionary atonement, a substitute. He died in the place of others. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice how many times in Isaiah chapter 53 we're told that he took the sins of others upon himself and died in their place like a lamb of God who is going to die for the sins and take away the sins of the whole world, like the Passover lamb, like the Yom Kippur goat of atonement. Jesus was going to be a man who was going to have the sins of others laid upon him, a God-man, and then he was going to die in the place of others. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, verse 7, yet he opened not his mouth, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. He's cut off. Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy said, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. He's going to be cut off. He was cut off from the land of the living, not for his own sins. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked. So he's going to be killed. He's going to be dead. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich man at his death. He was crucified between two criminals, as you know. Uh, and then he was buried uh, in Joseph of Arimathea's, a rich man's grave, exactly as was prophesied. He will be the rich in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He is the truth. Yet it pleased the Lord, or Jehovah, Yahweh, it pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Somehow he's going to be dead, but he's going to be alive. He's killed, he's cut off, he's dead, he's crushed, and yet he's going to see his seed, verse 10. He's going to prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord is going to prosper in his hand. Well, how could that be if he's dead? Because he's going to be raised again. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. This is the Old Testament speaking about these prophecies of Christ. Again, by his knowledge, verse 11, my righteous servant shall justify many because he shall bear their iniquities. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us he became sin for us, took our sins so that he could give us his righteousness and we're made the righteousness of Christ in him. Verse 12, therefore I will divide a portion, divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was cut off, he was killed and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for 
the transgressors. So it shouldn't have surprised the Jews that their Messiah was rejected and their Messiah was killed because that's exactly what the prophet said was going to happen when the Messiah came the very first time. We know that when Jesus was there and Jesus presented himself as their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and Jesus, knowing that he was going to be rejected and knowing the wrath of God that was going to be poured out upon the nation of Israel because they had rejected God's only begotten Son, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. Jesus laments over Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not see me, or you shall see me no more, till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had rejected Jesus. He was now saying, God is rejecting you, setting you aside. God is going to do a mystery. He's going to do something different. He's going to raise up another people unto himself. The church age was a mystery to the Jews and to the Old Testament prophets. But Jesus does say there's going to be a day when you're going to receive me. He says, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you will see me no more until the day when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When is that going to happen? When are the religious Jews and the nation of Israel, the political and religious leaders, going to welcome Jesus and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? When Jesus Christ returns, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, and makes war with the Antichrist and the governments of the Antichrist and the armies of the Antichrist that are trying to destroy and exterminate the Jews, Zechariah chapter 12 and Zechariah chapter 14, describe this event for us. When Jesus returns and then they welcome him and they accept him as their Messiah and as their Lord. So again, back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Now therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens, or sixty-nine sevens, or four hundred and eighty-three years. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times, and after the sixty-two sevens, Messiah shall be cut off or killed, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city, that's Jerusalem, And the sanctuary, that's the temple. The end of it shall be with the flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. So remember, there was 70 weeks determined before all these promised blessings came. 69 of the weeks were fulfilled. And then you have this parenthetical period of time. uh, Kind of like a parenthesis or like a comma. Where you have the church age, which was not detailed here because Daniel was not writing for the church. He was writing for the Jews, for his people, for his city, for Jerusalem. And so he's saying uh, the Messiah is going to be cut off and not for himself. The people of the prince, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist. The people of the prince, we know then, are the Romans. Because it was the Romans who destroyed the city of Jerusalem under General Titus in 70 AD, who later went on to become an emperor for Rome, the son of Vespasian, who was the emperor at the time. Uh, And uh, 70 AD, the city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. It was burned to the ground. Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon uh, another here at this temple. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. They say that all the Jews went to hide in the the temple. Somebody threw a a torch inside. It was packed with people inside of the temple. It was kind of like a sanctuary place. They thought they'd be safe after the walls of Jerusalem collapsed. The armies of the Romans poured in after they were besieging the city for several years. Uh, All the Jews rushed into the temple for safe haven or for sanctuary. And one of the Roman guards historians tell us, Josephus the historian tells us, threw a torch inside the temple. Everything caught on fire. The people were burned alive. And all of the gold, the silver, and the bronze, which this temple was full of money, full of gold, silver, bronze, and so forth, it melted. It got so hot that it melted. 
all of this precious metals ran then liquid into these stones, these walls and these rocks that made up the temple. So the Romans disassembled the temple stone by stone. These ginormous stones, huge, huge stones. You can still see them underneath the old city of Jerusalem today, the foundation stones. Enormous. And, uh, and they, they dismembered. They took apart the temple uh, in order to get the gold that had poured into the crevices and the cracks. So exactly what the Bible predicted would happen. The city's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. That was fulfilled in 70 A.D. Now you have this 2,000-year period, almost 2,000 years, that has passed. Uh, and so God is now doing something different. He's working with the church during this time, but he's still going to fulfill his promise to the Jews. And so there's still, remember, there's still one more seven-year period left for God to fulfill, to bring in all these blessings to his people Israel. So we see this in verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many, or an agreement, or a treaty, with many for one week or for seven years. But in the middle of the week, or three and a half years into that seven-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, the abomination of desolations. For even until the consummation which is determined, it is poured out on the desolate. So we know that the prince who is to come is the little horn, He's the Antichrist. He's the big mouth who blasphemes God, uh, who's going to take over the kingdoms of the world in the last days. He is going to uh, rise up from the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, because we know he is uh, the, the, the people of the prince. The prince is the Antichrist. The people were the Romans who destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD. So he's going to be uh, brought up from the ancient Roman Empire, from somewhere in the ancient Roman Empire, likely Western Europe or Southern Europe, or maybe perhaps Turkey, somewhere that was part of uh, uh, the Roman Empire. And at this time, at the end, he's, he's going to confirm a covenant or a treaty with many for one week or for seven years. So many people believe that this is what's going to begin the tribulation period, is when there is a treaty or a covenant or a peace treaty between the Jews and the nations around them. So that a world leader is going to be able to bring peace to the Middle East for the exclusive purpose of the Jews doing what? Rebuilding their temple. And so the Jews are prepared now to rebuild their temple. When I was in Israel five years ago, the Temple Institute, the guys there said, we could have a, a, up, a temple that's up and running and working with animal sacrifices within 90 days from the time we get permission from the United Nations or the powers that be. They could, they could have a temple up, assembled, and be offering sacrifices within a 90-day turnaround time. That was five years ago, probably much quicker today. So they're ready for this. They want to rebuild their temple. Uh, of course, they're going to think that this man who is the prince, who is to come, the Antichrist, they're going to think that this is their Messiah because he's going to come and say, hey, I'm, I want to help you rebuild your temple so you can worship your God. And the Jews are going to say, great, you know, maybe this is he, maybe this is the Messiah. And remember, uh, Jesus uh, said, you won't receive me. I came in my father's name and you rejected me, but you will receive the one who comes in his own name. Speaking of the Antichrist, when the Antichrist comes, they're going to receive the Antichrist until he betrays them three and a half years into the seven-year treaty or the seven-year covenant that the Antichrist makes with the nations and makes with Israel. He is going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering in the middle of the week. And this is going to be what is referred to as the abomination of desolations because he's going to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. He's going to declare that he is God and he is going to demand to be worshipped as God. And it's at this point the Jews are going to realize we've been duped. We've been tricked. We have been deceived. We rejected Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. We accepted the Antichrist, and yet he is a devil. He's going to come in and declare that he is God and demand that the whole world 
worships him. And that's when the Jews are going to flee. And they are going to leave the city uh, taking just the clothes off of their back. Jesus taught about this in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus was speaking there the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus says this about this time that's coming in verse 15 of Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. We just read that. Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation. Whoever reads, let him understand. Verse 16 of Matthew 24. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For there will then be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so Jesus is warning the Jews at this time in the future, after the church age is completed, he's saying, this is coming, you need to be aware Pray that this doesn't happen in the middle of the winter. Why? Because it's cold in the middle of the winter and they're going to have to flee by foot. Uh, sometimes it even snows in the middle of winter there and rains. And he says, pray that it's not on a Sabbath day. This is why we know this has nothing to do with the church. The church doesn't celebrate the Sabbath day. We worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. Uh, and uh, the Jews worship the Sabbath. Uh, they celebrate the Sabbath day. They worship God on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. And all of Jerusalem to this day shuts down on the Sabbath day. All public transportation shuts down. All taxis shut down. All buses shut down. All trains shut down. Everything shuts down in Jerusalem on Shabbat, on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is saying, looking to the future, pray that this does not happen, this abomination of desolation in the middle of winter or on a Sabbath because it's going to make it that much harder for you to flee to the wilderness. In 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2, and this is where we're going to have to end uh, this morning, but we're, we're going we're gonna to be looking at this subject for the next couple of weeks. I didn't want to just blow through this information. I wanted to slow down so that you could kind of let this seep in and hear it a couple of times and uh, reinforce and reiterate. Uh, because I believe it applies to our generation. I think that this applies to us and to our generation as we're getting so close to these prophecies being fulfilled. In 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2, we read this in verse, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, the day of the Lord, unless the falling away comes first. This would be a falling away from the faith of the apostasy. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Uh, Revelation 13, John also talks about this time where he's going to suffer a deadly wound to the head. He's going to be healed. It's going to look like he was raised from the dead. It's going to be three and a half years into the tribulation period where he is going to demand to be worshipped as God. He's going to set up an image of himself in the temple. The false prophet is going to require the whole world to worship the Antichrist or to worship his image and to take a mark on their right hand or on their forehead by which you will neither be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And those who take the mark of the beast cannot be saved. They are identifying, they are willingly choosing to identify themselves with the devil's man. And it's an act of worship to take his mark. And those who take the mark of the beast, there is no salvation. And those who flee those who refuse to take the mark of the beast. He's going to send his armies after them. He's going to lock them up. He's going to uh, basically uh, exclude them from the economy of the society and then uh, eventually behead them if they will not uh, take the mark of the beast. That is the abomination of desolations, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. 
So there's, there's, uh, next week we're going to be looking at the rebirth of the nation of Israel uh, in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, 37. And then we're going to look at the war of Gog and Magog, a future war between Israel, Russia, Iran, and Turkey in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. You will not want to miss those studies. Shall we pray? And Lord, we thank you so much for telling us the future in advance. It, it really encourages us. It builds our faith to see, Lord God, that you penned these things through your servants, the prophets, thousands of years ago. And yet we see prophecies that have been fulfilled specifically, accurately to the very day when Jesus Christ rode in on the donkey to present himself as king. Uh, and we see all of these other prophecies ready to be fulfilled. And we know we are so close to the time of your return. So Lord, help us to live in light of your imminence, of your return, Lord, that you could come back any minute. You could return today, tomorrow, Lord. And may we be living in a way that is pleasing to you because we don't know when you're coming back and we want to be living in a way that is pleasing to you when you come back for us, for your church. Bless us, Lord. Strengthen us in your word. Help us, Lord, to reach out and to minister to the lost in these last days. Bless your people, we pray. Bless your church. In Jesus' name, amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.